We are in the book of Colossians, Colossians 3, and in this chapter we're talking about how to live in community when Christ is your all in all, Uh, and really the sub-theme is how to maintain and flourish and enjoy the presence and the power of Christ in your home, in your marriage, in your church, in your relationships. And as we walk through this chapter, there's some specifics and then some generalizations. Let me give you some foundational principles. First of all, verse 10 says this of chapter 3, you must be renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Be be renewed in the knowledge of all that God is for you in the person of Christ. So, So you think well. That's a foundational principle. You must think well. And as you do that, secondly, you must be a people who understand the all-encompassing glory of Christ. He makes this astounding statement to this very stratified, caste-driven system in Colossae. He says in verse 11, here there is not Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised or barbarian or Scythian or slave or free. All those are wiped away. It says the primary identity is who is Christ. Therefore, he says, but Christ is all and he is in all. So so you understand that, that your common denominator and your point of identification is the reality and the glory and the goodness of Christ, that you belong to him by the work of the cross, that you are his. And then he says, thirdly, you must put on a new wardrobe. And he talks about that in verses 12 to 14. He says, put on then as God's chosen people, God's God's called out people. He says, compassionate hearts and and, and kindness and humility and meekness and gentleness and and, and patience. And have a a forbearing spirit with other people. And, And forgive one another just as you've been forgiven in Jesus Christ. And over all of these, put on love which binds them together in perfect harmony. So you have a new wardrobe as you walk in the way of Christ, as you're renewed in your knowledge and as you glory in the greatness of Christ. And then the last few weeks we've been talking about specifics, specific things. The first specific is understand that you live in community. God has called you into community with people. Chapter 3, verse 15, the last part of verse 15 says this. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. You're called in one body. You've been called into the body of Christ. Verse 16, let the peace of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. That's the one another. So you've been called into a body of believers, into a community that's rich and strong and should be endemic to who you are. And then he says, secondly, you must let the gospel of Christ work deep in your heart and experience. Verse 15, let, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you've been called to peace and be thankful. So you, you let the peace of the cross be the umpire in your life. You, you run to the cross, you glory in the cross. He says in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. He says, understand that. He says in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, and, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, 
having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. So he says, you know, you, you not only it's called a community, but you've got to let the peace of Christ, the gospel of peace, the gospel of grace, saturate your mind and determine the way you live. Thirdly, he says, the word of Christ must dwell in you richly. We talked about that the last two times I've been here. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly or luxuriantly or thoroughly. Teaching and admonishing or building up or challenging or, or, or really convicting. Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom or, or depth of insight. And be thankful. And so we come to the standard today, the last standard before next week we go to relationships on Mother's Day. It says in verse 17, these incredible words that are mind-boggling. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, when, when, when you read that, that verse and you really think through it, I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. you got, you got to be kidding me. And whatever you do, whatever, everything, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And I, I go, that's unbelievable. Whatever I do, word, deed, work, relationship, neighborhood, activities, hobbies, whatever you do, do everything because you've been bought with a price or to glorify God with your body because of all the Lord has done for you in Christ. Whatever you do, whatever. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm, wow. I mean, really? So in, in 1 Corinthians, there's a thorny issue in chapters 8 through the first part of chapter 11, in part dealing with food sacrificed to idols and can Christians eat that food and what are the circumstances that allows them to eat and not eat and so forth and so on. And, and he gets into a thorny issue about the conscience of younger believers and how to love people. And it's a very interesting and really, I think, difficult passage. But then he comes down to the last part of chapter 10 and he says this, just as a, a placebo statement, Paul, Paul says, listen, basically says, let me sum everything up in this statement. Whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do all in the name and to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, okay, that, that settles it. But it's unbelievable. Whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, my life should be a constant, reflective response to who Jesus is in my life. That's it. That's what the passage says. And it's amazing. And it's humbling, and it makes me cry out, I've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit because I cannot begin to live this way. I just can't. I mean, some of my thoughts this week, some of my words are blushable. And yet he says, whatever, whatever you do in word or deed, 
Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as you look at the text, the giving thanks is the linchpin that opens the door to worshiping in word and deed. That's why I see the text. So, so you give thanks. And the question I have to, to myself, to you, is, is are you known as a person of gratitude or thanksgiving? I mean, thanksgiving is throughout the scripture. Give, give me thanks to God the Father through him. People understand how important gratitude is. I've, you go to the library, just get some books on gratitude and thanksgiving. They are everywhere, articles everywhere. Here's an article I read. The 31 benefits of gratitude you didn't know about, how gratitude can change your life. I just mentioned some of them, not all 31. Here's a diagram that came with this article. It shows all the diagram reduces materialism, number eight. Uh, excuse me, gratitude. Gratitude makes us less self-centered. I've got some of these up here. Number 11, gratitude increases self-esteem. I'm not sure how that necessarily works, but. 12, gratitude improves your sleep. 13, gratitude keeps you away from the doctor. 15, gratitude increases your energy levels. 19, gratitude makes our memories happier. Let me tell you, number 24, number 24 clinches it from me. Gratitude makes you look good. Now, I got to tell you, when I read that, I thought, from this point forward, listen, May the 7th, 2018, from this point forward, I am Mr. Gratitude. I need all the help I can get. So if gratitude makes you look better, man, I count me in. <laughs> a, couple, a couple others. Gratitude helps you network, number 28. Gratitude increases your productivity. I mean, so what I'm saying is people understand in a general way the importance of of gratitude, the importance of being thankful. I mean, we as Americans have a holiday, one of my two favorite holidays, entitled Thanksgiving Day. But I'm going to give you three reasons, three reasons we should be people who lead the pack in gratitude. Three reasons, or three thoughts. Number one, we should be people of deep gratitude as believers because we understand there is a God who made the heavens and the earth, who made us in his image, male and female. And this God is triune in his glory. He is Abba, Father. He is the Son who died for us. And he is the Holy Spirit who fills us and leads us into truth as we study the Bible. We should be people of, of gratitude. I think of the statement made by Jesus in Matthew 10 that is unforgettable. Once you hear it one time, you never forget it. When Jesus says this, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father's knowledge. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. You go, wow. God watches over me. He's not just kind of, he didn't make it and walk away, or he's not involved in anger. He is the living God. Or in, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 7, verse 11, Jesus looks at these parents and from the Jewish culture, and they were good, good, good parents. But yet he says this, if you then, 
though you are evil. Evil is the word, evil. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who call upon him? And I just back up and I said, do, do I really believe that? Do, do, I, do I really believe I serve and walk before the God of how much more? Do I believe he watches over me? Do, do I believe that his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me? Do, do I understand that this is the living God? And if I understand that, then does my heart reflect that? Psalm 3. The psalmist says this. David says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying that of my soul, there's no salvation to be found in God. Selah. Stop and think about that. There are detractors out there who say, there's no God. He doesn't care about you. He's walked away. He made the universe. He's not there. David says, I don't buy that. And then he responds by saying this. But you, O Jehovah, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord Jehovah, and he answered me from his holy heel. Think about that. Therefore, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. The psalmist says, you know, because God is a shield and because he is the lifter of my head and my glory, because he's God, I lay down and I sleep in peace. I will not be afraid of many thousands. A shield, a protector. November of 2015, just two and a half years ago, we awoke to a horror that came out of Paris, France. We're in several venues in France. Some Islamic terrorists had brutally murdered senselessly innocent people. And the 130 people were killed in Paris. 89 were killed in a concert. The American band was given a concert. There were only 1,500 people there. And three armed men with hand grenades and machine guns entered and went up into the mezzanine and started machine gunning the crowd. Many people ran to try to get out of the exits. Many people fell down mortally wounded or killed. And as these men sprayed them, they cried out, Allahu Akbar, God is great. How, how perverted is that? Really, how perverted is that? How sick is that? How twisted is that? They went down and they reloaded and they saw people, and they saw people that were not dead, they would shoot them. And a few people ran, got up and tried to run to the exits, and they machine gunned them in the back, and they laughed. There was a young woman there named Elsa DePlace. Elsa DePlace was 35 years of age. She was there with her mother, age 61. Her mother was shot and killed right away. And as the bullets flew around her, Elsa threw her five-year-old son down and covered him with her body. And a few minutes later, when the gendarmes were able to take over, they found this mother dead and her mom dead, but her five-year-old son was alive because she shielded him with her body. And I read that and I thought, you know, read Psalm 3, that, that's what the Lord does for us. He shields us. He protects us. And you say, well, ultimately, the, the cross, the, the, the cross shields us from the judgment that should fall upon us, but, but he shields us from day to day. He, he watches over us. He leads us into 
green pastures and quiet waters. He restores our soul for his name's sake. And yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord is with me. Now, I know some of you are going, ah, I, yeah, I believe that, but boy, I, need, I really need to sense that. I pray the same thing. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, which is a symbol of blessing. My cup runs over. In other words, the oil just flows out into a cup and it just flows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is my birthright as a child of the cross and yours. And so therefore, I should be a person of, of thanksgiving. I'm shielded. Or I look at Psalm 100, the, the very short psalm, a celebratory psalm. that says, uh, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Come into his presence with thanksgiving and serve the Lord with gladness. Then he says this in verse 3. Know, why do, you, why do you come into his presence with thanksgiving and singing? Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. God made us. He loves us. He's our shepherd. We're in his sheepfold. He carries us in his bosom. Therefore, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord Jehovah is good. Wow. Just, he's good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. He's good. He's, he can be trusted in the dark. He can be trusted. So, as a child of, of, of the king who knows the cross, I should be thankful. It's very interesting. I, I did some research on, there's a group called the Yale, the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, as in New Haven, Connecticut, Yale. And these are thoughtful people who write some really, really good stuff. And um, PhDs, I mean, very fine people. Real quickly, common grace is a theological term that means there are, there's common understanding about life and common standards that are written on the fabric of our lives. We know certain things are right and certain things are wrong because we're made in the image of God, therefore we're moral creatures. And so we can, we can, and the, the upside is we can express beauty and truth and love because all people are made in the image of God. And so there, there is understanding in the minds of men and women uh, because we're made in the image of God. It's a glorious thing. Thank God for common grace. Special grace is the grace that is visited upon us as we know Jesus as our Savior and walk under the authority of the Bible. So common grace is good, but special grace is, 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 just takes it up about 5,000 notches. So these people write about thanksgiving from a common grace perspective. I'm just going to give you three quotes. They say, gratitude um, acknowledges Connection, and perhaps for that, this reason, it is central to spiritual traditions in Islam, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Judaism. And he says this. When we contemplate our place in the intricate, interdependent network of life, we feel wonder and joy. That realization can lead us to express thanksgiving. I read that and I thought, well, not really. Yes, maybe. But if I am a well-thought, thinking person whose basic presupposition is 
all the beauty and all the greens and all the blues and all the birds and all the beautiful children and all the seniors we'll see who are graduating. They're wonderful, but it's the impersonal plus time plus chance. There's no rhyme or reason. Then my heart isn't filled with thanksgiving. My heart is filled with darkness. So I think that's a quantum leap to think that that realization can lead us to express thanksgiving. I don't, I don't necessarily do that. Next quote. Gratitude also reduces lifetime risk for depression, anxiety, and substance abuse disorders, and it helps people entangled with those and other problems to heal and find closure. Okay. This says this. It can give you a deep and steadfast trust that goodness exists, even in the face of uncertainty or suffering. Now, I'm going, I don't think so, to be bluntly honest. Um, why, why does it give me a steadfast trust in goodness if I don't believe that the Lord is good and He reigns and He rules? Why don't I believe it's everything that's a cacophonic nothingness? Go to the Rohingya people today of Burma who've been massively annihilated and experiencing a genocide and say, hey, life is good, isn't it? No, it's not good. Life is hard. Go to the cancer ward at MedU today and say, hey, life is good. No, life is hard. And what I'm saying is that if we, when we understand there is a God and He's good and He watches over us, it gives us a sense of, of thanksgiving that should be absent from or limited from other perspectives. Number two, grateful or thankful living is a result of understanding the best is yet to be. Very important. So when Colossians are talking about how to live as new people in Christ, Starts off in verse 1 that says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So, so do not let the hope of heaven be snowed under. You see, the hope of heaven tells us that life is less than perfect and, and glory awaits. The, the, hope, the hope of heaven tells us that the, the best meal we've had this week, and I've had some good meals, the, the, the most warm embrace I've had this week, the most enduring talk with a friend I've had this week is a foretaste of the glory that is coming. Just a foretaste that the best is yet to be. You cannot let that get snowed under. If you let that get snowed under, then I don't think gratitude will really flow from us as it should. This article is very interesting to me. It's entitled, and I've got to take out some words and make it PG. So, gratitude lists are a bunch of junk. And then it says this. You know, uh, this, this woman, young woman, says, after more than 15 years in remission, my depression reared its ugly head after a brutal artistic rejection and the loss of a creative outlet that, I, that was very important to me. Just stop. She, she had auditioned for 150 commercials and had yet to be chosen. That's tough. That's tough. She says, rejection wasn't new to me, but this one took me down so hard I just couldn't get back up off the floor again. I started every morning with an ugly cry and ended every night with a gin and tonic binge. Then I lost my job. Then my cat died. Then my other cat died. Then the student loan bill I'd been putting off paying for six years came due with six years' worth of interest. Then my last remaining cat lost the use of the lower half of her body and dragged herself around our apartment on her two front legs, squirting urine everywhere for eight months until she died. 
Then my father-in-law died. I thought it was interesting if you put your father-in-law in there with a cat that has urinary tract problems. Then my dog got cancer. Depression had been steadily on the rise in the U.S. in recent years, and the cult of positivity mindset has touted expressing an attitude of gratitude as the greatest innovation in the fight against oppression since Prozac. And so she said she went to numerous counselors, and they all, they all said the same thing. Make a gratitude list. No. After 100 days of making gratitude lists, tens of thousands of dollars in psychotherapy, five different antidepressants, four months in an outpatient psychiatric hospital where they strongly recommended making gratitude lists, and myriad of high-priced alternative treatments, I had pretty much given up all hope of ever feeling better. Then my psychiatrist suggested I see a therapist in his office who worked with people who had a history of trauma. Just stop. A gratitude list is you just list all the good things in your life and, and you think about that and you, you're just happy. And, and um, it, 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 it's kind of like Facebook. You know, I think Facebook is from the pit of hell. Gotta be honest with you, I, I don't do Facebook, but I, I know people who are going through incredible hardship. And if you read their Facebook page, you'd think they, they bet on a 500 to 1 odd at the Kentucky Derby. Their children are all in the Mensa Society. They have an incredible marriage where the skies are not cloudy all day, where seldom is heard a discouraging word. The deer and the antelope play in their, in their, in their, in their, on their lawn. And everything is great. That is not life. It's like these stupid Christmas letters some of you send out. I'm sorry. You know, we had, we had the perfect vacation. My children are wonderful. They're marrying incredible people. My body fat is at 8%. Um, my hair is not falling out. My Achilles tendon doesn't hurt. I didn't really have back surgery. I was just figured me around. Yada, yada, yada. Life could not be better. And I read and I think, I'm a jerk. I'm a jerk. Because that's not true in my life. It's just, it's just stupid. What do you do with hard? Listen, you're going to go through hard times. There's some people here today who are depressed. There are marriages here that are hanging by a thread. There are kids, there are people here who think, I got the wrong kid at the hospital when I had my baby. Somebody, this kid did not come from me. I mean, really. Some of you hate your jobs. I mean, it, you live in a fallen world, people. And to sit around and make gratitude lists and not deal with the reality doesn't do anybody any good, I don't think. So the question is, how do you deal with this? Are you groaning? The Bible says we groan. Your body hurts. Let me tell you something. If you're 27, you're at the top of your game. You're a stud. Maybe you're not married yet, so you're really doing good in a lot of ways. And so, I mean, you're, you have no body fat. You, you're, 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 you're your body doesn't hurt yet. You think that one day you'll be a Fortune 500 CEO when somebody discovers how brilliant you are. And, 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 and you're, it's, it's just good. Let me tell you something. Reality is coming. Life is tough. And my question, how do you deal with, with grunningness? Let me tell you what happened to this lady. She said, I went to see my therapist. And I tell him what's going on. He, he looked at me and says, man, your life stinks. And I said nervously, it's not that bad. Assuming he was either grossly incompetent or trying to trick me. She said, I have a lot to be grateful for. He said, really? 
and rehearsed what I told him. He says, what are you doing? He says, well, I've been making gratitude lists. I'm really trying to block, to look on the bright side of life. He says, forget that. Stop doing that immediately. It's the last thing you need. You need to make an ingratitude list. <laughs> you should be ticked off. Your life's honestly kind of in the dumps right now. I'm not saying there's no bright spots, but you need to stop trying to pretend you're not in pain. You need to make a this life stinks list. Now, what I'm saying is, when you go through hard times, you trust in the dark the goodness of God. There is cancer. There's heartbreak. There's children who disappoint you. There are parents who disappoint you. There is depression. There's agony. What do you do? You say, I'm going to thank God for the good gifts of life, and I'm going to realize that glory awaits that this is not a perfect life. This is not a perfect marriage. This is not a perfect parenting. This is not a perfect job. This is not a perfect film of blank. The groaning process leads us to be people who understand life and really it leads us to gratitude. Thank you, God, for your daily gifts and the best is yet to be. Thirdly, Thanksgiving leads us to find freedom and joy and focus in this life. The Bible says time after time, give thanks. Give thanks. Enter his courts with thanksgiving and his, and his courts with praise. I mean, it, it helps us to be the people God has called us to be. Are, are you a thankful person? So C.S. Lewis, mere Christianity, says it so well. Let me read one thing that, that's kind of not dealing with this, but I think is so good. He said it is... <clears throat> Very well to put this in this framework. Some of us, I think about this about me frequently. Some of us who seem quite nice people may in fact have made so little use of a good heredity and good upbringing that we are really worse than those whom we regard as fiends. Stop. What Lewis is saying is so many of us were raised in fine homes. We were loved and cared for, and God saved us. And what have we done with what the Lord has done in our lives? Because other people had no advantages. I think about that. Can we be quite certain how we should have behaved if we had been saddled with the psychological outfit and then with the bad upbringing and then with the power of, say, Heinrich Himmler, the Nazi henchman? So what if you had Himmler's upbringing? That's why Christians are told not to judge. We see only the results which a man's choice makes out of his raw material, but God does not judge him like that. And then he says this, I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your lifelong, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself, each of us 
at each moment is progressing to one state or the other. And I really then I thought, that's one reason that being thankful is so important. Because according to the Scripture, when I am thankful, when I express gratitude, I, I focus on the living God, the Good Shepherd, the Savior, the Holy Spirit, the Guide. And as I do that, it unleashes change in my spirit. So people for gratitude. So just a takeaway, two, two applications. Daily express gratitude to the Lord. And I, I want to go, go beyond thank you, Lord. No, thank you, Lord, because. Are you, are you with me? Thank you, Lord, because you're the good shepherd and you love your sheep. Thank you, Lord, because you died on the cross for my sins and I am forgiven. Thank you, Lord, because you are my shield and by your grace you protect me from dumb decisions. Thank you, Lord, because you love the coming generations, including my children or my grandchildren. Thank you, Lord, that you are the present guide, Holy Spirit, that opens my eyes to see truth from the Scripture. You do that. You intentionally thank God for one of his qualities or attributes. And then you thank someone in your life. Don't say to your child or your parent or your friend, thank you. Say, thank you because you've been faithful in the dark of my life. Thank you that you've always been consistent. Thank you that if I needed someone at 2 o'clock in the morning at Waffle House, you have been there. Thank you, next week's Mother's Day, thank you for being a mother who has selflessly cared for her children. Thank you for being a picture of grace. But, but just practice out of the overflow of worship, gratitude. Okay, let's pray. Lord, this day we are so thankful for the cross. We're thankful for the Good Shepherd, Christ. We're thankful for the love of Abba Father. So we stop to say thank you. We thank you for filling our lives. As I, as I look around this room and in the worship center, I see people who have been kind and faithful to me and my family for a long, long time. And I thank you for the consistency of brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for the joy of, of community. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you there's no shame because the cross covers us. So make us people who worship you with thanksgiving, I pray. We, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.